You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. A former Surrey woman has been identified by her family as one of the victims in a deadly shooting spree in Austin, Texas last Tuesday. Sabrina Rockman's husband says she was out walking with their son in a stroller when she spotted the gunman and made the split second choice to hide the baby. Cassidy Moscone reports. Ishraq Islam and his wife Sabrina Rahman moved from Surrey, British Columbia to Austin, Texas for a better life. Instead, Sabrina's life was tragically cut short. The young mother fatally shot in South Austin last week. Just, just the friendliest, kindest, just a, just a sweet, sweet, sweet angel. The 24-year-old witnessed her handyman, Emmanuel Pop Barr, learn the same cruel fate at the hands of the alleged shooter. The assailant, he came, he shot him through the passenger window. Austin police identifying Shane Jacobs as the suspect, who's accused of killing six people that day and injuring three others. Sabrina now being remembered as a hero. The final act saving her young son. He saw her react, scream and run. She ran to a neighbor's house. She threw Ibrahim, my nephew's stroller, at the neighbor's door, she pivoted to run the other way. This person ran out of the car, ran at her, he put the gun to her head, and he pulled the trigger. She was a hero, and I just, you know, I hope my son, she's going to know one day how much of the hero his mom was, and she risked everything for him, and she'd, she'd do it over and over again. Now the family's old neighbours, the Surrey community, are rallying behind them. More than $30,000 has been raised on a GoFundMe page. But we're going to raise this boy. Yeah. Like like he didn't miss a beat, yeah. but it's going to be tough. I don't know where I'd be with all my friends from BC. I just want to say thank you to all my friends and family, everyone from Vancouver, all my Austin family. Thank you guys for the support. Weeks shy of celebrating Sabrina's 25th birthday, now Ishraq is planning her funeral. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. Another healthcare waitlist nightmare tonight. This one for a Port Alberni man who says he's waited five years to get a knee replacement. Having lost faith in the BC system, he's forking out thousands of dollars to have it done in Mexico because he can't live in pain any longer. Kristen Robinson reports. It's been eating at Bruce Gordon since 2018. I can't take any more chances here. The longer I wait, the more problems I'm going to have. The 70-year-old Port Alberni resident who used to work as a cruise ship entertainer I've got you under my skin. says he's been waiting more than five years for a knee replacement. He was offered surgery twice during the early days of COVID but declined because vaccines were not available. I wanted to be equipped before I went in because if I got COVID, I knew uh, the chance of me surviving was slim to none. Living with constant pain, he decided to research medical tourism, eventually booking his surgery for early January in Puerto Vallarta at a cost of around $18,000. It's a beautiful town, to tell you the truth. Gordon will recover in Mexico before coming home, but plans to return next November for hip surgery. When you're waiting for surgery, you, in, some, in some ways, you're putting your life on hold and we want to reduce those wait times. As of October 31st, more than 9,000 patients were awaiting knee replacement surgery in B.C. 
Between August 1st and October 31st, 50% of cases were completed in under six months, while the majority, or 90% of the surgeries, took more than one year. I don't think Mr. Dix uh, really has a grip on what's going on. We've made huge strides in BC on this very issue. I, I can't speak about the individual case. I don't know what the circumstances are. But what I can tell you is we've gone from the bottom of the country to the top of the country on hip and knee replacements, the bottom of the country to the top of the country, by specifically investing it. Gordon says if he doesn't act now, he may not have another opportunity to fix his knee. I can't wait any further. It has to be done, and unfortunately, I have to pay for it. But I might send the bill to Mr. Dix. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A B.C. woman who decided to go south of the border and pay for her own cancer treatment says she's now being shut out of the B.C. cancer care system. As Erin MacArthur reports, she says she's been told that even follow-up care isn't available to her. Sheila Visick has been around the world helping people in appalling circumstances, but has never seen the broken level of care she experienced here at home. I'm kind of appalled that I'm in this position, but I'm not alone. But there's something systemically going wrong. Visick was diagnosed with cancer in August, and by October had still not started treatment. She took matters into her own hands, referring herself to the North Cascade Clinic in Bellingham. Paying out of her own pocket, treatment started the next week. She has undergone three of four rounds of chemo and had always thought she could move her treatment back to Canada at some point in her journey. The BC Cancer Agency said no. Not only could she not receive oncology services here, she was cut off from all the supports provided. I don't know that if it was explained to me that by declining chemo support in British Columbia that I declined all BC cancer support. Visick is receiving treatment at the same facility with the same doctors that the BC government has referred hundreds of patients to in order to alleviate the backlogs here at home. Health Minister Adrian Dix was asked if those patients might have difficulty receiving continuity of care at home when their procedures are finished. It would be like in the system receiving radiation therapy in British Columbia and then the continuity of care continues before and after. The BC Cancer Agency sent a statement to Global News saying it's up to individuals' primary care providers to make referrals. And the BC Cancer Agency can provide ongoing services, but on a case-by-case -case basis. Visick says a final round of chemo starts later this month and more treatment scheduled for the new year. And as she fully admits, she's created her own two-tiered health care system and now has to ride out her decision. Uh, we're a first-world country, um, and... We can do better, way, way better. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Fraser Health is looking at creative solutions to help deal with overcrowding at Surrey Memorial Hospital. It's planning to lease out a motel to support some patients off-site. And while it may not be a long-term fix, Fraser Health believes it's the right solution at the right time. Angela Jung reports. Fraser Health's largest hospital is chronically overcrowded. Too much patient, too much crowd in, inside also. Surrey Memorial recently added portables to its pediatric emergency waiting area. And now it has taken another innovative step. Half a block away, this motel will house vulnerable patients who have just been discharged. 
they are designated as being alternative level of care. In other words, if we had a safe and proper place to discharge these patients to, they would not be in hospital. Fraser Health is leasing all 53 rooms at the George Point Inn, prioritizing patients who are unhoused or have precarious housing, a place to stay while they get better. So I think it highlights the need that we need more care in the community and away from the hospital to free up the hospital beds for those that are most need of acute care. We're going nowhere and we'll hold you accountable. Physicians have been sounding the alarm on the issues, plaguing Surrey Memorial. The health minister says this is one measure to alleviate some of the pressures. For some people, it's very difficult to discharge them because even though they're ready to be discharged, the places that they would go would almost immediately um, not support their continuing recovery. I think it will make more of a difference to the group of patients who really don't need acute care and may be uh, cared for in a more appropriate setting, but it will also make a difference to those patients who are the sickest. The health authority says while at the motel, patients will receive round-the-clock care and access to services such as rehab and psychosocial supports. Fraser Health anticipates patients will be staying here for a few weeks and when they're ready to leave, it says staff will help them transition back home or into supportive housing. Angela Jung, Global News. A 34-year-old man has been charged after allegedly smashing the windows of multiple vehicles parked at Eagle Ridge Hospital on Monday night. Port Moody Police released this picture of one of the damaged vehicles. The suspect was arrested several blocks away from the hospital. Police say he had several tools with him and was believed to be stolen property, including passports. They say he'd been released with conditions just hours before for similar alleged offenses in another city. 34-year-old Nicholas Yachu is facing a long list of charges and will stay in custody until a court appearance on Friday. Any witnesses or potential victims are asked to call Port Moody Police. Could be a long night at Vancouver City Council. This afternoon, it began hearing from the public on a controversial plan to abolish the park board. Alyssa Tebow is live from City Hall with more on the motion and the long list of speakers. Alyssa? Yeah, Sophie, there has been a lot of passion here at City Hall over the last few hours. One woman that we heard from even started tearing up a little bit while talking about her love of the city's parks. Now, Council has just come back from the dinner break. They are at speaker number 94 of 162. Everybody gets three minutes to make their case, so there is still a little way to go. Now, most of the speakers so far have been speaking out against this move. Many saying it's undemocratic and arguing that Vancouver needs to keep an elected park board to look after the city's green space and community facilities. Others have accused the mayor and his ABC party of a power grab. One woman even spoke directly to the mayor and asked if this was really the legacy he wants to leave behind. Among the speakers have been a number of current and past park board commissioners, even former park board staff. A few residents have spoken in favour of the motion, saying the system is redundant and that citizens have a right to save money. One saying that just because an elected park board used to work doesn't mean that it works today. Now, Mekin Sim says he is doing this because the system is broken and inefficient, arguing that by making the park board a council department, it will save the city millions of dollars. A number of people have asked for that decision to be put to a referendum at the next election, given that the park board commissioners were elected by the people. One of the non-ABC councillors is even planning to put that option on the table tonight. Mekhan Sim told Global News today he won't be doing that, though. Have a listen to what we heard.
I do have an amendment that's drafted, so if they push it through, um, that there is a referendum at the next election. Because I don't think that you should take away an elected body from the people who voted for it in the middle of its term. Uh, it's, I mean, if this was a banana public, that's the kind of things that happen. People get rid of governments. I think people elected us to make bold decisions and work fast because, you know, the pa in the past, governments have taken a, a, a long, like, a long time. Um, and I'll be generous there. And so we are absolutely in our rights. Uh, we are basically looking at uh, what our, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, what we're allowed to do, and we're following that framework. And we're allowed to, you know, uh, ask the province to make a charter change. Alyssa seems to be moving uh, maybe a little bit faster than we'd been expecting. When might we see a vote on this? It is moving a little bit faster. There is a possibility that this vote happens tonight if they do get through all the remaining speakers. If they don't, it will carry over into tomorrow. But there will be a debate among councillors after the speakers are finished. But it is likely that the vote will just happen straight after that. And because there is an ABC majority on council, it's likely that that motion will pass. Of course, then it will have to go to the province because any change to the Vancouver Charter needs to be approved by the province. And we will have those latest details tonight at Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Alyssa Thibault at Vancouver City Hall. An alarming report this week reveals the sorry state of Vancouver's most popular outdoor pool. The park board says Kitsilano Pool is leaking thousands of litres of water every hour and is in need of immediate and costly repairs. Grace Key reports. It's the most popular outdoor pool in Vancouver and it leaks 30,000 litres of water an hour. Kitsilano Pool was damaged during the 2022 King Tide. A report indicates there is slab uplift, cracking, and water loss from recirculation pipework. Where exactly it's leaking is unknown. The intention is that it'll be up and running in the summer, but we don't know what's going to happen as we go through the storm season. Uh, if, we get, if we get a King Tide, if it gets smashed with logs, which are completely out of park board's control. But the report only gets worse. The pool is an aging infrastructure that's at the end of its life and at risk of failure. It's exposed to the elements and located within a coastal floodplain. On Monday, commissioners heard how there were efforts to extend its life. There was substantial investment in 2018 to look at uh, capital funding that could extend the life of this asset. Uh, and that was the intent and that was the plan. Unfortunately, the best plans we're a little bit foiled by weather and the environment. This is unanticipated work, so there is no funding within the capital plan beyond regular maintenance. Capital maintenance would come from the city of Vancouver. We're also asking the city that the, the capital dollars that are needed for this crumbling asset have been ignored for a very long time. And so we really need that money from the city to be able to put it in. We absolutely need to find a way in our capital budget to uh, fix it short term so it remains open, but also put together a long-term plan uh, that allows it to be used for generations to come. And whether that's a, a fix of the current pool or a rebuild is up to our engineering experts. Investigation and repair efforts continue. Staff is looking for funding for a feasibility study to come up with some options. That would be presented for the 2027-2030 capital plan. Grace Key, Global News. A suspected cocaine smuggler escapes the country, and you'll be amazed at how he did it. Plus, the wrongful arrest that involved a 12-year-old girl and her grandfather. 
why they'd like to see greater discipline for the officers who did it and how it's not as simple as it might seem. Next on the news hour. Taylor has taken over our life. A dad who just wanted to do something special at Christmas finds out he bought Taylor Swift concert tickets from the Grinch. That story later. And still to come in sports tonight, a rising star in BC High School basketball scoring with some swagger. That's later. Right now, though, a Haltsuk Nation man and his granddaughter who were wrongfully arrested outside of Vancouver Bank are requesting a culturally appropriate apology from the two officers involved. It comes after the VPD members failed to show up for a planned apology ceremony last year. Catherine Urquhart reports. It has been four years since Maxwell Johnson and his 12-year-old granddaughter were handcuffed outside the BMO in downtown Vancouver while trying to open an account. A branch employee had questioned her Indian status card and reported a fraud in progress. Now, a new development. Not only uh, disrespect me, but it's disrespecting our culture. Johnson and his granddaughter have filed an application under the Police Act requesting reconsideration of discipline imposed on two police officers who didn't attend a planned apology ceremony in 2022, which was agreed to as part of their discipline. Having them not come up here in the original uh, apology feast that we had, uh, it put a lot of stress on uh, Tori and myself and my son and our whole community. We would like to see, um, you know, the constables do the right thing and uh, show, you know, respect for, for health and culture and, and law. The Vancouver Police Board stated, the application is now before the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. In order to protect the integrity of the OPCC's process, it would be inappropriate to comment. The OPCC said in part, the commissioner will be carefully reviewing any request received from the complainants in relation to this matter and in accordance with the commissioner's statutory authorities and applicable law. According to the Vancouver Police Union, the officers apologized at the scene, in writing, and planned to attend the ceremony, only when it changed from an agreed-upon private meeting into a public event did they cancel. They have nothing to be afraid of. We're very, very uh, friendly people. Uh, we don't hold cold grudges when something's been done bad to us. Four years on, Maxwell Johnson says he remains hopeful that one day there will be a resolution. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A Canada-wide warrant has now been issued for a 60-year-old Surrey man who was convicted of smuggling drugs. In November 2017, Border Service agents at the Pacific Crossing searched a truck owned and being driven by Raj Kumar Memi. They found 80 sealed one-kilogram bricks of cocaine with a street value of more than $3 million. In September of 2022, Memi was found guilty on two drug charges, but one month later, he fled to India. Last month, Memi was sentenced in absentia to 15 years in prison. Between the period of uh, his arrest and when the passport was seized, uh, several years have passed until uh, he went to court and found guilty. Um, and he, he, what he did was, within that period, he obtained a, a second passport through Passport Canada. 
The RCMP is working to get a worldwide red notice issued for Memi, which is a request for local police to arrest him if he's ever located. Well, the story stunned viewers. A local couple facing a $600 bump in rent when their baby arrives. What the housing minister now says about changing the rules. Plus, BC small towns feeling abandoned by the big banks, closing their only branches. Traffic is steady across the Portman Bridge in both directions with just a bit of leftover volume eastbound along Highway 1 through Burnaby on the approach. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $10 million plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Centre. There are hints legislative changes could be coming following a story by Global News on a Vancouver couple whose landlord is threatening to jack up the rent when their baby arrives. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, technically the landlord has the right to do mm -hmm. what he did, but the housing minister now admits the regulations could be tightened up a little. Yeah, when we first brought this to Housing Minister Ravi Kalan's attention, he expressed uh, displeasure and disappointment in the landlord, saying literally the landlord should give his head a shake. The landlord wants to increase the rent for this young couple by $600 a month once their baby's born in their basement suite and comes to live in their basement suite. Also, another $600 a month when the, an in-law comes to visit and helps tend for the baby. Uh, Kalan earlier this week expressing displeasure. Today, he's talking about legislative change to the Residential Tenancy Act to prevent situations like this occurring again. Here's a minute. It's just shameful, quite frankly. Uh, we know majority of landlords are excellent. We know majority of uh, renters are fantastic. And what we have is a system where on the ends of the spectrum, we have people who abuse the system. We provided some flexibility for landlords to ensure that, you know, if they have a caretaker coming in, that they have the, the ability to move people in. And yet we have examples after example of landlords that are abusing that system. So more needs to be done. We need to find ways to protect renters, uh, given the challenges we have. And there are some elements that we need to do to protect landlords who also are dealing with uh, you know, bad uh, renters. Minister Kalan also tells me this is not going to be an easy fix. It is quite, pretty uh, complex. It, essentially, it's a private contract, at least is, between uh, the landlord and the tenant. And making a law, changing a law to affect that contract may be problematic. The key here, or the priority, is to ensure, particularly in situations with, involving young children, either births or foster kids coming to live in a place, that this law is changed to protect this situation and ensure it doesn't occur again. So it's going to take some time. The House doesn't sit again until February. So next spring is when we're going to see a series of changes to the Residential Tenancy Act affecting both landlords and tenants in situations like this one. Look forward to those improvements like a lot of people do. Thanks very much, Keith. Right. A growing concern in the Okanagan as some small communities are losing their only banks. BMO has notified the nearly 3,000 residents of Enderby that it will be closing its branch, the only bank in town, in April of next year. And in Lumbee, Scotiabank says it will be closing in September of next year, leaving that community of 2,000 with no local bank. Residents say the closures will be particularly hard on seniors. They've been told to go online. The nearest bank 
is 25 kilometers away on a highway drive and has very poor parking. It's just not practical for them. And when you've had your banking history with something for 50 years, it's also not convenient to change institutions. We had a credit union that closed. They moved to Vernon and unfortunately they're closing now. So leaves without a bank. It's a huge blow to business community, to residents. The Lumbee Chamber of Commerce is working with the village to try to bring in another financial institution. Coming up, providing dignity in death. We fell behind as a province around taking care of people in need. The push to get the province to pay more for funeral expenses when people die in poverty. Plus, Food Rescue, a Langley organization that redirects things other people throw away, might need saving itself. Right where we're standing, this is like ground zero. Some of the most iconic albums from the 80s and 90s were recorded right here in this Vancouver studio. It's a combination of the building and the people. We're here to make a record. We're not here to have a party. We look up from the console and they're gone. So you have to be half shrink, half producer. You see, we recorded Slippery when it went right down the street. Traffic is moving well both ways over at the Patello Bridge. Just keep in mind there is overnight construction with intermittent lane closures later on. Carmack Collision and Auto Glass's newest location is in Vancouver on Southwest Marine Drive, conveniently located between Camby and Oak. Carmack, the most trusted name in collision repair for 50 years. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, there are calls for the B.C. government to increase funding for a program that helps grieving families pay for funerals when they can't afford the cost. As Richard Zussman reports, the amount of money hasn't increased in 15 years, while funeral costs, like everything else, have skyrocketed. It's an added stress at the hardest time in someone's life. B.C. is the lowest rates uh, across the board in Canada. British Columbia falling woefully behind when it comes to helping those who can't afford a funeral, cremation or burial. Right now, the province covers nearly $1,300 for basic end-of-life services, $815 for funeral services, a burial or cremation at cost, and either $200 for an urn or a minimal casket. Alberta offers about double including more than $4,400 for services, as well as burial or cremation costs. The BC Funeral Association has been meeting with the BC government about providing additional funding, and so far have heard the same thing, time after time. Yes, we hear you, we understand that this is underfunded, we understand that this is an area we've neglected, and hopefully it'll get on the budget next year, but it, uh, it becomes kind of a... A continual message of hearing, we hope so, and then not seeing any results. The province is set to release a poverty support strategy in the spring. More than 10,000 people weighed in on what they would like to see in the new plan, with the Funeral Association just one of many asking for more support. You know, we fell behind as a province around taking care of people in need. Uh, you know, they've been heard and um, and you know, we're really grateful that they pick up some of the extra pieces right now. The BC Funeral Association says it's not sustainable for them to continue to pick up these kind of costs. And it's not acceptable that the province doesn't include a basic headstone in its support. Because funeral homes in the province have always said yes to doing these services, there's never been any public pressure to make a change. And even though it likely doesn't cover all the costs, 
The province is reminding people support is there for end of life, no matter how much money you or your loved ones have access to. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A Langley company says it has a solution for situations like the recent dumping of piles of ripe mandarin oranges. As Janet Brown reports, the founder of Refeed Farm says despite proving how well his circular food system works to eliminate waste, he's had to turn to crowdfunding to stay open. Canadians produce over 50 million tons of food waste every year. 40% of the food that is produced in this country is wasted before it even gets to the grocery store. Here at Refeed in Langley, they are working to redirect wasted food that would otherwise wind up in the landfill and repurpose it. We ensure that food is used to its highest value. We rescue it for people first. What's left over, we use as livestock feed and resupply that to local farmers. Some of these bags may have some mold in them, and so, you know, they would be dumped for livestock feed. Last year, 5,000 tons of produce came through this facility, mainly from grocery stores. 500 tons of that was recovered for people, much of it purchased by food banks. We do seven to eight tons a day through this facility. So picture, you know, six elephants, you know, that just to put it in context, every day that would otherwise be just completely disposed of. This is our test worm bed where we do uh, the growth trials of the worms. The worms are used to create fertilizers and nutrient-rich soil amendments for farmers, another part of their circular food system. That one's a full-spectrum compost. That's going to be worm feed. This is more of a conventional composting process. I started this because there was a missing piece within the entire food system that wasn't addressing the industrial scale wastage that was happening. However, Refeed is at risk of closure because of financial challenges after a key investor backed out. For it to get this close to being the solution that is needed, that'd be a real shame. A GoFundMe account has been launched and Lily is looking to apply as a nonprofit organization to help the company stay afloat. Janet Brown, Global News. Still ahead on the news hour, the Swifty swindle. Hey, do you know this person? Is it legit? And they vouched for it. A warning about bogus Taylor Swift tickets from a dad who thought he was doing the right thing. Plus. I try to be a team player as much as I can. The young basketball player many consider the best in BC, setting her sights on a repeat provincial championship later in sports. No snow for the Christmas wish breakfast this morning, but that led to big crowds downtown. It was good. Yeah, when it was a beautiful sunrise, Christy. That's right. I'm hoping that that's what brought everyone out. What a success it was. This was the sunrise this morning from Texada Island. Sarah Bonds sharing this with us. And it was seen right across the south coast. Red skies in the morning. Sailors take warning. Yes, the system is starting to take over the region. So we'll see rainfall as we continue through the evening hours. We'll see it overnight as well. And it means significant snow for the central and southern portions of the province. We do have a few warnings in place, particularly Whistler. So if you're traveling up there tonight, tomorrow morning... 
We're expecting significant snow. The possibility of 20 centimeters anywhere north of Squamish. Also areas north of Kamloops up towards Valemont and Rogers Pass. 15 centimeters of snow. Now for Whistler, the, re, uh, the snowfall will ease in the afternoon. But for these areas here, it will continue in the afternoon. Here's a look at the transition. So tomorrow morning, we're going to see widespread snow. So although I pointed out those areas under warnings, we're expecting snow on all the mountain passes tonight, tomorrow morning. Uh, areas like Kelowna will transition to rain as you warm up during the day, but it pushes out quite quickly. So drier conditions expected by the afternoon. And once again, areas like Metro Vancouver will continue with some rainfall in the morning, drier by the afternoon as it clears out. Lots of sunshine in the far north. It's from Quinell further south that we have the potential for snowfall. And again, transitioning to rain in areas like Kelowna as you warm up to four degrees. Any rainfall you see here is just in the morning breaks of blue sky for Vancouver Island in the in the afternoon. But for Metro Vancouver, it will continue to be mainly cloudy in the afternoon. But we've got lots of sunshine beyond that. Look at Friday and Saturday with a high of potentially 10 degrees on Friday, well above seasonal for this time of year, just a very slight chance of showers in the morning. All right, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from Victoria, where they also saw the red skies in the morning. I know this isn't exactly red, but you get the idea. It's that reflection of the sun's rays uh, off the bottom of the clouds as it moves in. Back to you, too. Stunning. Beautiful sight. All right, thanks, Christy. And it was a very special morning down at the Pan Pacific Hotel today for the 36th annual Christmas Wish Breakfast. They sounded great this morning. Huge crowds came down to enjoy a free breakfast while the folks dropped off a toy for the Lower Mainland Christmas Bureau. Sonia Sunger, Jason Pires, Mark Madriga, and Caitlin Osansky were all on hand. They were joined by several special guests and received a helping hand from the Vancouver Police and Fire Departments. This year we've been working with our bureau partners and they're seeing a 20% increase kind of across the board. We've actually had to backfill two bureaus with extra toys, which is unusual, and the need keeps growing and a lot of the bureaus are under a lot of pressure as we all are right now, with the economy being what it is and a lot of pressure on working families. This year is really crucial for everybody. And it was thousands of people coming down to the hotel this morning, donating more than 16 tons of toys. About 150 gift cards and more than $30,000 in cash. Thank you so much. It was amazing. It was great. Saw a lot of people down there who watch Global BC. So thank you very much for trusting us and for your generosity for the kids too. Great way to kick off the holiday season. Although, I mean, it's less than two weeks away. Yeah, it's getting close. Uh, all right, Squire Barnes is here now with a look ahead to sports. Squire? You know that tomorrow is Roberto Luongo night. That's right. And we'll put him in the ring of honor because he's coming with his team, the Florida Panthers. I don't think we've seen a Canucks team this good since Roberto Luongo was the Canucks netminder. We'll talk about another win last night, 4-1 over Tampa Bay. High praise, no doubt. Also tonight, a well-meaning dad falls victim to a Taylor Swift concert ticket scam. The details later. I watched a lot of that game last night. Nobody was better than Besser. Yeah, he was great. Well, everybody was great last yeah. night. I thought you know, they got score on first, didn't let him bother them. And Kuzmenko scored. Sort of got out of his own personal doghouse there. Did he forecheck, though? Well, I scored. <laughs> Did some forechecking, but he scored. <laughs> 
The uh, good times just keep on rolling for the Vancouver Canucks. Last night they beat Tampa Bay. First time they've done that at Rogers Arena in seven years. And they did it pretty handily. Okay. If you're a Lightning fan, I'll admit your best defenseman, Victor Hedman, wasn't playing. That hurt the cause. But the Canucks held leading scorer Nikita Kucherov to no points. And Brock Besser moved back into a tie for most goals in the NHL at 21. Who shoots the puck around, waiting as Hirona puts it in front, tipped on goal, loose puck, Miller! He's just a smart guy. He knows the spots to go at. Um, and he's sharpened up in his defensive game. You know, he still, he knows there's, he still wants to get better at his defensive game, but it's, you know, it's night and day from last year. His offensive game is also night and day from last year. That hat trick Besser had last night bumped him to 21 goals. Last season, he only had 18 in 74 games. His best ever season is 29. But being a man who loves structure and defensive play, Tockett was also praising his penalty kill, which kept the Lightning from striking on three power plays. What are they, 30% power play? I mean, that's a hell of a power play. And I thought we protected the middle pretty well. I mean, they got a couple of good looks, and Demmer was you know, obviously there for us. But um, this, this is a game when you, when you penalty kill against a, a power play that, it, boosts, it should give us confidence. We should have a little bit of... You know, energy now with this penalty kill. Hopefully, can get a little bit of a run. You know, um, in the next four or five games where the PK can be counted on. I think that's what we're looking for, like a, a good run of our of good PK right now. Looking for a good run. And of course, the Canucks have the Roberto Long Longo night coming up. The Ring of Honor. It's uh, because his current employer, the Florida Panthers, will be in town. Uh, Luongo is the second goalie in the ring. Kurt McLean is the other. They both wore number one, which is the main reason the number wasn't retired. Although you could have retired the number and put both their names on it. I guess you could have done that. So last March, the Riverside Rapids won the girls' 4A provincial basketball tournament for the first time in school history by beating the top-ranked team from Walnut Grove rather easily, 70-52. And the best news of all for Riverside, their best player, Avery Sussex, is still there because... She was only in grade 11 last season. 5-8 fierce and focused on a second straight quad A title. Avery Sussex is the leader of the Riverside Rapids. I like always look up the floor like the second I get the ball I'm like a quick passer. Um, I like to like get my teammates open but I also love to score myself. The senior point guard is committed to UC Davis next fall and her road to Div 1 NCAA basketball was paved in part by her current Rapids coach Paul Langford. We were in a, doing a club camp and my brother Bruce was coaching the U13 group at the time. I again had that crazy no attention span, was always talking the whole time, not paying attention and I got sent out of the gym. She was walking around in the parking lot, I didn't know this kid and I said to her what happened and she said well I was ta talking when the coach was talking and I said oh did you want to go in and have another chance? And she goes, oh, do you think you can do that? I said, I think I, I got some pull here. I think, I think I can get you back in the group. And I didn't know who she was, but I did want to see which kid I put back in and to, to see actually if she misbehaved. And then I watched her and I went, oh, she's actually really good. <laughs> Sussex was the player of the game in the provincial final in March, dropping 23 points, five assists, four steals, and four boards. And before the March Madness of Provincials, she helped lead the Rapids to a championship at the Samura Basketball Invitational. It, you know, she's frustrated at times, but, but she, you know, she, she does have fun. She, 
she talks back. There's so many videos I see. People are like, you're always talking to Paul when you come up the floor. I'm like, we always yell back and forth. It's mostly in, in fun. I'm pretty hard on her, um, as well as I'm pretty gloating of her. I, I still tell people like I get the best seat in the house to watch her. She's become a crowd pleaser with the way she plays, scoring with a little swagger. Since grade 10, she's been in every Samura Basketball Invitational and Provincial Final. I feel like I always have a target on my back that everyone just wants to prove like maybe like that overrated chair every once in a while like always have to like make sure I'm showing that like what I've worked for like what I've worked so hard for that I'm actually like I'm good. She's good all right. Draymond Green did this last night. Nope, can't do that. He's been suspended indefinitely. Now, he said that he apologized to uh, Yusuf Nurchic after the game and said what he was trying to do was sell a call and not purposely hit him in the face. He's going to have to explain that to the NBA head office, make sure they believe him, and then he can get back on the court. But until then, suspended indefinitely. I don't know. I don't know. You're not buying it. I'm You're not no buying fan. It. It's not his first offense either. No, let's be it's honest. his sixth offense. Yeah. Sixth suspension in his career. All right, thanks very much, Squire. Well, now we got bad blood. A Calgary dad trying to surprise his family with Taylor Swift tickets is scammed instead. That's next. Bruce. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in our newsroom with a preview of what's coming up tonight on News at 11. Jordan? Chris, we'll let you know what happens at Vancouver City Hall in regards to the vote on the future of the park board. Plus, how Vancouver's liquor laws are changing after a vote at council earlier today. Some rules that critics say were archaic are being relaxed, but not without some concerns about the effects of more alcohol in places like the Granville Strip. So we'll have these stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Chris? Sounds good. Thank you, Jordan. A Calgary family has a warning for others tonight after they were swindled out of $2,000. They are obviously devastated after scammers made off with not only their money, but also their daughter's dream Christmas gift. Global's Tomasia De Silva has more. It's a cruel summer. Forget a cruel summer. Back in the car. It's a cruel Christmas for one family enamored with Taylor Swift. Taylor has taken over our life. Uh, Jennifer Thompson day. and daughter Kelty are huge Swifties, even renting a limo for the movie of her concert tour. They tried numerous times to get tickets to her actual concert, but no go until just recently. I'd be interested in those tickets. For Dad, life, Mark Pepin couldn't believe his luck. A friend had shared a post online from someone they knew selling tickets to Taylor. Hey, do you know this person? Is it legit? And they vouched for it. So I got four tickets. He thought wife, he'd scored. Daughter, Instead, he'd been scammed. 
they were asking for more money to validate the tickets and then sending that money to a different email address. So that's when, you know, the red flags really went off. It was too late. The money was gone. The tickets wouldn't be under the tree, not this Christmas. So what's yeah. under the tree now? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> it's not so much the money, like it's more the disappointment of really wanting to provide that, you know, that experience for my wife and daughter. Yeah, I think that's what I'm most hurt about. Mark, my husband, is the most incredible man. Jennifer Thompson also says it's not the money that hurts the most, rather the effect this scam has had on her husband. Mark tried to do this explosive grand gesture and it was it was incredible, the thought. The loss of the money was terrifying. The fact that he got taken advantage of, you know, broke my heart too. What it won't break is the family's Christmas spirit. I don't wanna keep secrets just to keep you in Or their love for Tay-Tay. Tomasi da Silva, Global News. I mean, clearly he can just put on, or they can just put on their own concert. That's right. All yeah. the words. <laughs> <laughs> they got the voices. It's amazing. Uh, let's hope that it does come true at some point for them, for sure. Uh, okay, some big precipitation is coming eventually here, Christy. Yes, exactly. Still pushing in across the region, but uh, certainly late evening, overnight, we'll see it and into tomorrow morning. It does mean snow and heavy snow north of Squamish and east of Hope. Uh, we do have a snowfall warning in place for the Whistler region right now, so be well aware of that. Sunshine, though, on Friday, everyone. Looks good. And thanks again to everybody who came out to support the Christmas breakfast, the, the big morning show this morning, and thousands of people so happy with how that turned out. 16 tons of toys. Thank you, everyone. Night, all. Good night.